Awesome, thank you. We're, we're continuing our study in 2 Peter. We're going to be in verse 5 through 11 in chapter 1. So if you uh, are new with us this morning, this is our third week examining uh, a letter that a, a gentleman by the name of Peter, um, inspired by God, wrote to a collection of believers to give them some warnings, some encouragement of some things taking place to the church. Now, we haven't gotten that far to those warnings. Uh, we really laid a foundation the past two weeks. But this morning, we're going to see that there is a push here this morning as we're going to not give up what we've seen the last two weeks. We're going to build upon that, that there is a push this morning for spiritual growth. There is a push for us to further grow the faith that we have inside of us. It is for not for us to leave it alone as we trust in Jesus Christ. And so as we walk through this this morning, I want you to just know that at the end of this service, I'm going to ask you point blank to examine five or six areas of your life and ask, where do you need to grow spiritually? That's where we're headed this morning. That's where I want you to think this morning, that that's going to be a question that's going to come to you this morning, that we don't want to leave this place where we came in, that we want to grow spiritually as we're called to do in God's Word. Now, when I earlier this year, I was talking to one of our children at church, a little girl, and I said to her, I said, hey, how old are you? We were talking out in the lobby, and she said, I'm four, almost five. And I said, really? When did you turn five? She says, well, I just, I said, when did you turn four? Something like that. And she said, well, I just turned four, um, right, right around Christmas. I'm four, almost five. But I just turned four. See, when we're little and we're small, we count birthdays in days. We're, we're four years and two weeks, four years and five weeks, four years and three months, four years and a half. We're five and six months. We're nine. Boy, when we get close to double digits, we're counting the days down till we get to double digits. We just can't wait to get there. And we count and we think, oh man, I'm almost 10. I'm almost there. I just can't wait to get a little bit older. I want to challenge you this morning to think like a child spiritually today. That you are not content where you are spiritually. That you're thinking to yourself, here's where I am spiritually, but man, I want to be five. Here's where I am lacking in certain things in my faith, but I want to grow in those. Where we do not become content because, listen, when we become adults, we pretend we don't even remember our birth dates, right? We go, I'm not sure quite how old I am, and we definitely don't count ahead. We don't go, well, I just turned 45, I'm almost 46. No, we're just, we're just putting that off till we get to the next age. And spiritually, some of us do that as well. We look ahead, and, and we, we've gotten to a point of contentment spiritually, and we say, you know, I'm, man, I'm just 45. I've been in the faith for a long time, or maybe I'm new in the faith, and I've never experienced growth. I'm just content where I am. Well, Peter's going to challenge us based on our foundation in Jesus Christ and his divine power. That cannot be true as believers. That cannot be true as followers of Jesus. And so he begins verse 5 with a couple of phrases that I want us to examine before we get into uh, these virtues that he's going to highlight that we need to grow in our faith. He says in verse 5, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. I'm going to pause there and then look at the things that he says that we can supplement or grow in our faith with. Now, let me say this to be very clear. He's pointing back to, he says, for this very reason. Sometimes in Scripture we see a writer, they'll say, therefore. 
And therefore means you've got to read backwards to find out why are they saying that. For this reason is one of those phrases where we need to say, okay, for what reason? For what he's about to say? No, for what he has already said. And what we've said is that Peter has acknowledged that he's a servant, that he's an apostle, that he's a witness, and that he has, and he is sharing with us that we have in Jesus Christ a divine power through Jesus Christ, through God's word that we have in each of our lives. For this very reason is pointing us, reminding us of our faith, reminding us of who we are in Jesus Christ. And then he says, make every effort. For this very reason, make every effort. Every one of us in this room makes some effort today in something. You may be making every effort to prepare for a Super Bowl party tonight, right? You may be making every effort for something that you've got to do this afternoon. You may be making every effort since January 1st to lose some weight, and you've been doing that. That's awesome. You may be making every effort in your daily life. Man, you just got to keep up with technology. You love technology. You want to keep up with technology. You want to make every effort. Some of you make every effort to keep up with what's going on in politics and try to keep all that in your brain and roll that around and just just all the, the craziness that goes on. But he says, for this very reason, make every effort effort. This is a challenge of diligence. In scripture, it tells us in Philippians, Paul says, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, he says, Paul does, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, I want to be very clear here this morning. Scripture teaches throughout the New Testament that we cannot earn our salvation. We cannot work our way into salvation. We can't do enough good to receive our salvation, that it is only the movement of God offering Jesus Christ as a payment for our sins for us to be able to enter a relationship with God by faith. But I want you to understand and know this, that once we've received that faith, that faith is a working faith. It is an active faith. It is a working out of the salvation that you have received. It is not a stagnant faith. It's not a content faith to say, well, I trusted in Jesus when I was 11, and I've pretty much stayed where I have been for the last 50 years. No, that's not the faith that's described here. It is a working out of this faith. He says, make every effort Making every effort is more, church, it's more than a Sunday morning worship hour. I mean, I love our time of worship. I love our time of rejoicing. I love our time of teaching, our time of fellowship out in the hallways and talking and our time of growth and Bible studies. But making every effort does not give the connotation that it's a Sunday morning deal. It's an every day. It's a part of who we are. Make every effort. Make every effort to do what? He says, to supplement your faith. I'm going to try to do a better job than I've done in the last two, two, two goes at this um, as a pastor. One of the advantages of preaching three times is you, you get to critique yourself two times and do it again. So I, I want to try to do my best job here in this idea of supplementing your faith because this is a strong command from Peter. The word supplement or supply that your translation may give you is a Greek word from which we get our word to choreograph. 
to choreograph. By a choreograph, somebody who choreographs something in our day and time, we may say, well, my daughter is in dance and they have choreographed this dance. Someone puts it all together. And it's amazing how they do that and make sure people don't bump into each other. Or maybe you are in marching band and somebody choreographs this and you have certain places where you go and certain things that you do. But in, in Greek culture, when a production or a play was put into practice, there were times when they would hire a choreographer. Now, let me explain what a choreographer was 2,000 years ago. It was not somebody who, who simply uh, arranged the dance. And that's fantastic. But much larger than that, a choreographer 2,000 years ago was somebody who was known in society. They were a wealthy person. And a, someone who had written someone, would written something that needed to be performed, would go to a choreographer. The choreographer, listen to this, they would pay for the entire production to take place. And some of these plays and some of these things that were written that were designed to be sung would have choruses of two and three hundred vocalists. 2,000 years ago, all right? We weren't the first one with musicals, all right? Two, three hundred people. And this choreographer, here's what they would do. They would hire the vocalist. They would make sure the production was all set. They would give everything they need. They would make sure everything was equipped so that what was about to be performed could be performed flawlessly. They would lavishly prepare for the event. And here's a beauty in this and a huge challenge to this. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to do what? To supplement your faith, to add everything that you possibly can, to give everything of who you are. It's not somebody else, the choreographer. You are the person that you look upon yourselves and your gifts and your weaknesses and your struggles. But through his divine power, you say, I want to offer everything that I possibly can give to Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that this life that he's given me, to live in this life, I'm giving every opportunity for this life to be as prepared as possible, as equipped as, poss- as equipped as possible, so that I can be what God has called me to be. When we packed last year and to, to head to Tanzania with a team from the church, we started meeting in January. And we started thinking about what crafts we were going to do with our, uh, our vacation Bible school camp with missionary children. We, we were trying to figure out what, what crafts we would need, what supplies we would need, and all these different things. And we put all these things together, and we spent one, one weekend, one afternoon, about two weeks before we left, and we packed. And we packed 13 suitcases of supplies for one week in another country. We did not start packing and, and preparing and pursuing what we needed to go in those suitcases on Friday and pack on Saturday. We began packing and preparing months ahead. A time period ahead, asking, pursuing, gaining those things, everything that we needed to choreograph, to supplement, to supply, to equip everything that we would need for that week and turn that over to God and allow Him to do what He would desire to do. And Peter's saying, because of who you are in Jesus Christ, because of his divine power in your life, for that reason, be diligent to, yes, work 
and pour into and equip to supply for, to prepare your faith. That's about as active as I can put it for you this morning. That is not complacent. That is not sitting back. He says, make every effort to supplement your faith. And he says, goes on in verse 5. He says, with virtue, with virtue, knowledge, with knowledge, self-control, with self-control, steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Now I want to make sure you, you hear me this morning. Again, our faith is by grace alone, but it is an act of faith. And then he gives us these things, these qualities and virtues, qualities for us to develop and to be developed in us as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the bulletin, there's a little handout there, and it gives you the, a list there. And they, they are listed um, from foundation of our faith up to love. But I want to make sure you understand this is not a ladder. You, you don't have to say, well, I'm not good at brotherly affection, therefore I can't love. I'm not quite there yet, okay? It's not built upon those things. They are interrelated to one another. So let's examine each of these virtues. And I really want you, we're going to go through these kind of quickly. But I want you to be thinking, which one of these virtues, these qualities, am I lacking? Which one of these virtues am I lacking in my relationships, in my friendships, in my leadership, in my sharing of my faith, in my, my time with the Lord? Which one of these am I lacking? So he lays the foundation. The first one that he lists here is for us to, to grow in is to make every effort to supplement your faith with your faith. So the faith is the foundation. The conviction and the belief in who Jesus Christ is as our Savior trusting in the grace of God. So this is foundational. This is not optional. This is from which we look at and build all these other ones into these others into our lives. Then the next one that he lists for us is virtue. It's moral excellence. But it's more than just saying I've got good character. It's more than saying well I've made good decisions. It is promoting the idea that you have a specific promise to a purpose to fulfill. So I'm going I'm to ask you some questions. I'm going to ask you to give me some answers, all right? This is not a psychological exam. The first two services, I think they thought I was, you know, trying to, to trick them or something, all right? A knife has a purpose, and its purpose is to what? A car has a purpose, and the purpose is to what? To drive or to transport. A shoe has a purpose, and its purpose is to what? To wear, to keep your feet dry, to, to walk upon. A lot, a lot of different ways that we could summarize that. A believer in Jesus Christ has a purpose, and its purpose is to become more like Christ. To become full of virtue, of moral excellence. There is a purpose behind this. This is not someone just stating, well, I've got good virtue. No, I am purposefully, have a purpose in my life to be used by God for His glory. Therefore, I will become more like Christ. Am I growing to become more like Christ? Knowledge. The next one that he lists there for us. This is wisdom and knowledge which equips a person not only to know the right decision, but the capability to make the right decision. And there's a vast difference. There are many times in our lives we know the right information. 
We may know the things in our mind that are right. This is an active knowledge, the ability to not only hear the truth, but to the capabilities to make the decision that aligns with that truth. Are you growing in knowledge? Are you adding, are you equipping yourselves in knowledge? The next one will go really quick because nobody in this room deals with this one. Everybody's got this one just right. It's called self-control. One definition from an older dictionary says self-control is the ability to get a grip of oneself. I love that. And it's from an older biblical dictionary where they analyze words. I, I like the idea that get a grip is biblical. I just like this idea that we didn't invent that phrase in our English uh, vocabulary. Get a grip of yourself is self-control. This is the quality that, again, all of us, we've got it figured out. We're self-controlled all the time. No. That's why Scripture addresses how do we have self-control. Here's a few areas that Scripture addresses self-control. Do we have self-control in our attitudes? In our, I'm going to say this one quick and keep on going, in our eating, in our work ethic, in our treatment of others, in our morals, in our ethics, in our self-indulgences, in our sexual temptations, in our selfish desires. Just to name a few areas where Scripture... distinctly examines self-control related to those issues in our lives. Let's be very honest. Much of the discussions of the ethics and the struggles that we are seeing in the 21st century are debates of self-control versus selfish desire. You can take so many different arguments that are taking place in our society and you can examine it through the lens of is this a self-control versus selfish desire argument? And here's where I want us to begin to see and begin to bridge. And I kept saying the first two weeks, guys, just stay with me as we get to see where this is practical. And here's where I want you to begin to see this. Now that we know that we have a foundation in Jesus, that we are a servant, that we are a witness, that we are fellow citizens of the grace of God, and that we have the divine power, divine power is equipping us with self-control. Understand how this all begins to, to, to layer itself in our lives and begin to build us as we grow in our faith. Divine-powered self-control sounds a little bit more motivating than just self-control. But this is who we are in Christ. Steadfastness, perseverance is the next one that he says for us to add on, to build into our faith. This is endurance to be able to stand in the face of the enemy. And Peter knew this probably better than almost anyone that wrote. He had watched Jesus. He had watched his persecution. He had watched him in all practical means, become what Hebrews 12, 2 says, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him the cross, enduring the cross, looking ahead. This is what this steadfastness means. It means to look ahead towards something, knowing that we're going to have struggles, knowing that we're going to face difficulties, but to remain steadfast. And Peter's now at the end of his life. And so he's rewinding and he's looking backwards 
And he's saying, oh, where I saw where there was steadfastness in Jesus. I saw there was steadfastness in this disciple. I saw there was steadfastness in this missionary. I saw the perseverance in this person. He's casting this vision backwards, and he's saying, listen, as you build this faith, as you build this knowledge, as you build this self-control, make sure to not miss out on the building of this steadfastness or perseverance. And then he comes to godliness. Often, I think when we come to godliness, we think of somebody who's better than us. We say, oh, they're godly. They're above me. They're holier than me. That is not the perception of this passage. That is not biblical godliness. That's pride. But godliness here is exemplified when a man or man, man or woman, mankind, when we correctly worship God, give God the credit for all that he is due, but that we also continue to serve fellow man. We are godly when we correctly worship the Lord and give him credit, but we also continue to serve fellow man. It's a both and. Godliness. Just a couple more. Brotherly affection. Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. And while this sounds good, it's really hard to put into practice. This is a passion to love other people. In particular, in this passage, how do we love those closest to us? If we were honest in the room and we started a discussion about this, we would say that the people that know us to be the most difficult and be the most prideful and the most lack of self-control are those that are closest to us because we lower our guard. And he said, this is brotherly affection that we would love each other. Why is this so important for us to continue to be reminded of? Because the divine power of God has given us a divine message and a divine task in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to what? All people. That requires brotherly affection. Listen, I'm an extrovert. I, I, I love people. I love being around people. I love talking with people. But that doesn't mean that I'm in the process of showing brotherly affection in all those relationships. That was a cause of self-examination for me this week. Is so, so what? You're an extrovert. But do you show brotherly affection to those that are around you? To love your neighbor? To love your family? See, now it gets personal. To love your family, your extended family, with brotherly affection. Last but not least, he says, love. This is agape love. This is 1 Corinthians 13 love. This is divine love that we have been given for each other through Jesus Christ, modeled for us that God the Father loved us enough to send His Son. The Son modeled love through His death upon the cross. We trust Him as our Savior. Therefore, what? We are people who love. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples when you have love for one another. This is how the world will know that we are his disciples because we have a big church and we got a nice lights and the worship band does a great job? No. This, this will help be known because, you know, if the, if the walk's too long, we got a golf cart, which is awesome, and get you there and all those type of things. Is that how they'll know that we're disciples? No. Well, because I go to Christian concerts and I, 
and I post about Christian things? No. How I love other people will display my disciple. Man, what a list. What, what a list for us. It's not exhaustive. There's other areas in Scripture that talk about qualities and fruit of our lives. But what an opportunity for us this morning through the foundation, through the divine power for us to examine and say, what about me? On this list, is it faith? Is it virtue? Is it knowledge? Is it godliness? Is it self-control? Is it brotherly affection? Is it love? Where am I lacking? Because it said, these are qualities, verse 8 says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from what? Read this with me. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These qualities and characteristics keep us growing in our faith. They keep us productive in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They keep us effective. And verse 9 is so powerful, I didn't even grasp it until, we were, until I was thinking through this this morning. Verse 9 says, Whoever lacks these qualities... Here's a warning. Is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If you decide, hey, I I don't want to focus on these qualities that God's laid out before us in his word. I don't don't want to diligently pursue this. I don't want to make every effort to supplement, to supply my faith. That's not a concern for me. He's saying, be careful. Could it be that you've forgotten that God has cleansed you from your sins? Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, they will be richly provided for you, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These qualities display our connectedness to Christ and confirm who we are in Christ. To willfully acknowledge and to accept one of these areas of weaknesses and say, I just don't want to deal with it, is in my eyes and in my thoughts of who I am as a believer, if I want to ignore the need of being further equipped, then it is contempt for the freedom and the power that I have through Jesus Christ. It is ignoring the power that has been placed in my life. Peter says, you're blind to things for which you've been forgiven. You see, nowhere in this passage do I see what our society has become used to, and that's a quick fix. That's quick, easy spiritual growth. Nowhere in this passage do I see Peter giving three quick steps to to repair 10 years of unbiblical marriage. I don't see anywhere in here... Two steps to correct 15 years of bad parenting. I'm kind of adding to that little sermon title there. Four points that all begin with the letter P that'll help you grow in the power of Jesus Christ. No, here's what Scripture's calling. Here's the reminder that he's giving. He's saying the New Testament is teaching the maturity, the growing, the equipping. It takes time and it takes effort. 
Do you hear that? Make every effort to continue to grow in this faith. For if you are, in these qualities are yours and they are increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want a strength to push back in an area of addiction and struggle, yes, conversation, accountability is a massive part of that, but also a biblical realization of self-control. If, if you say to me, Pastor, I want to rebuild a broken relationship, then begin to equip yourselves in brotherly affection. Pastor, I want to know, where's God calling me as a young adult? Pursue the knowledge of His Word. I want to repair some brokenness in my marriage. Then develop self-control, godliness, and love. And it will take effort. At this point of this pursuit, as I was planning, this is the thought of how I summarized these verses, is that committing to grow will never leave you in the same place. Spiritually, emotionally, verbally, and possibly even physically. Coming to the realization that you need to supplement your faith, equip in your faith, grow in your faith, will never leave you in the same place spiritually, emotionally, verbally, and possibly physically. And physically, I mean by that, by changing who you are, but maybe even a change in location. So in your bulletin today, but also you can, you can look into God's Word yourself. You can look it up on your phone. You can look at this list. And I want to I ask you to think about something, because here's what I'm going to ask you to do in a few moments. I'm going to ask you with our eyes open in a few moments, if you can say, man, there's, a, there's one of these qualities and virtues that I know I need to be working on. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand with our eyes open. Now, I know some of you are going, oh, man, that's super uncomfortable. But listen, James chapter 5, verse 16 tells us, Therefore, confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So can we just push past what society would tell us that that's not okay? And nobody's going to ask you your particular one and say, Oh, yeah, I knew self-control was your issue, all right? Nobody's going to be pointing a finger, but for the opportunity during our invitation this morning for people around you to reach out, put their hand on your shoulder, to... to to just say, can I pray for you in whatever area it is in your life? Can I pray for you in this quality? Can I pray for you? And so I want to ask you these questions in light of what we're going to do here in just a few moments. What virtue am I lacking the most? What virtue am I lacking the most? How can I make every effort to become equipped in this quality? We first must be equipped by His divine power. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, then this morning would you surrender to Him? Acknowledge your sins and need for a Savior. The next question I want to ask you, again, these are listed in the bulletin. You can grab one on the way out if you didn't get one on the way in. Who can hold me accountable in my desire to grow in this virtue? Who can hold me accountable? Before you leave the service today, Acknowledging to someone, would you hold me accountable in self-control? Would you hold me accountable in this area? In what ways can the church help me grow in this virtue? Whether it's somebody off this, off this stage this morning that you would 
feel comfortable speaking to, someone out in the lobby that has a Rich Fork badge on this morning, or somebody that you invited you, somebody that you came here with that you would say, as a part of this body of believers through Sunday school, through Wednesday night, through a men's group, through a women's opportunity, would you, would you help me grow in this virtue? This is not about uh, seeking forgiveness from someone else, but seeking accountability and love from someone else. Make every effort. Question is, are we willing to make any effort? Are we willing to make any effort to supplement, to supply, to mature, to grow, to flourish in faith and in faith, virtue and in virtue, godliness and in godliness as we continue to grow in knowledge and self-control and brotherly affection and love?